Welcome back to UAP Studies. Today we have Kathleen Martin who is returning on the podcast and we are more than happy to have her on. Uh, she is a true pioneer in the field of, um, well, not only ufology, but also abduction phenomenon. And she has worked her butt off over the years to bring us uh, great information on the subject. Of course, her newest book, Forbidden Knowledge, A Personal Journey from Alien Abduction to Spiritual Transformation, has just been released. We are going to talk about that as well, but first, I want to welcome Louis Borges back to the podcast, my man. How's it going? It's going very good. Thanks for having me again, and uh, very excited about our guest uh, today. We're both big fans of her work, and uh, we love having very credible people on the show, people that have sort of stood the test of time in this topic. Uh, many don't, so uh, yeah, today we have an author, a ufologist, an experiencer, an advocate, uh, she's a hypnosis practitioner, a conference presenter. She's a recipient of the 2021 UFO Congress Lifetime Achievement Award. We could go on all day, uh, but let's bring uh, Kathleen Martin on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be back. So we wanted to sort of ask you, many of you, uh, many people know who you are, but some people may not. So tell us a little bit about your history, what got you into this topic, uh, you know, being the niece of a very famous abduction case, Betty and Barney Hill and then how that sort of led into you becoming an author, and then where we are today with your uh, most uh, recent book, Forbidden Knowledge. Be happy to. Well, I had arrived home from school when I was 13 years old, and my mother was having a very unusual conversation with my Aunt Betty Hill, and uh, first time I'd ever heard of anything like this, but I knew that the craft had come very close to my aunt and uncle. They were concerned that they might have been exposed to radiation and concerned about what occurred. There was a lot of perplexing evidence when they arrived home. I saw the unfolding of this event, the emotional impact it had on Barney, um, my aunt's um, search for the answers, and... I could never forget about that. It had such a huge impact, and they never wanted the story to go public, but it was released as the result of a violation of confidentiality on a very wide scale. So uh, that's where I came from initially. I grew up, went to college, um, earned my degree in social work, had a concentration on social science. I loved uh, doing social research studies. And um, then I went on to uh, teaching and did some graduate work while I was teaching and became ill after uh, quite a long career and had to leave my profession. Uh, I had a debilitating illness and I decided that what I could do for intellectual stimulation from my home was to begin to investigate my aunt and uncle's case. I joined the Mutual UFO Network and learned how to conduct an investigation, had some training for MUFON. And uh, so I did research and investigation over a very long period of time. Uh, involving that case. It's still going on today. 
with a, a lot of new evidence in my new book that was just published last year uh, for the 60th anniversary of my aunt and uncle's experience. Well, about 30 years ago, too, I began speaking with other experiencers and wanted to know as much as I could. I talked to John Mack, I talked to Bud Hopkins, David Jacobs, some of the big names in the field. Uh, so I had a personal relationship with them and learned a great deal. And then I decided to uh, conduct three or take part in as an investigator in three social research studies on experiencers to attempt to identify the characteristics that experiencers share that are not common among the general population. So uh, I've done a great deal of research, investigation, experiments, on and on. Uh, that, and this has brought me to where I am today. I've just released um, Forbidden Knowledge, which is full of information that I thought I would never release, but finally decided to release it. What um, blew me away in the book was actually finding out how much you were embedded in Betty's life, um, especially after uh, her husband died, Barney. He died quite young, too, wasn't he? 46, 47? 46 years old. He had Jeez. a massive cerebral hemorrhage. Yeah, that's young. That's very young. And it, you said that the, the stress of that, of what he had experienced, he, he took it differently than the way that Betty took it. Like he seemed to take it a lot harder than she did. Like, he absolutely did. And I think that we have to look at his uh, historical background. He, you know, he was a black man raised in a segregated society. Uh, he, although he had an IQ of 140, uh, he couldn't go to college um, because he was disadvantaged. He, uh, he never had the opportunities that a white man would have. And so that had an impact on him. Then World War II had an impact on him as well. Uh, he ended up um, in, in a hospital in fair condition uh, due to an explosion and ended up being released. He recovered and he worked for the post office. So he was a bright, very bright man, a, a wonderful individual who reached out to others in support. Um, and Betty's history was as a woman whose family had been established in the Northeast since the 1600s. They were some of the first settlers to come to this country. Uh, very different kind of background. My grandfather was active in town politics. He was at one point the um, head of the board of chairman of the board of directors or the uh, board of selectmen for the town. Yeah, no, just and then finding out that like you were dealing with her when she got ill as well. Uh, you were pretty much the go-to for everything, taking down her diary notes. You were going to do the groceries, you cooked, you cleaned. You also had to maintain the house. Like you you were really embedded in, in this. Um, I was. You're, you're the best person to actually write the book because you lived with them and you you got to see the side effects of that. Yes, I lived with Betty when I was a college student after Barney's death and drove Barney's car to college 
for my classes. The same and car? The same car? The car, it was the station wagon okay. that he had. It wasn't the car that they had there. Okay. Okay. I I had to ask. I had to ask. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And then, um, I, Betty had assisted me with my education, with with my college education financially and had made that promise when I was born, in fact. So I always knew that that was a promise she had made. But after Barney died, uh, I had to move there for for financial reasons And then I made the promise to Betty that I would always take care of her in her old age for what she did for me. And so I moved near her. uh, And I, I mean, within probably five miles of her home, I had been about a 45 minute to an hour drive away. So I sold my place and moved to be near her. Um, and lived with her um, when she was uh, unable to care for herself because of her terminal cancer. Did you and uh, Betty ever discuss uh, UAP phenomenon? I know you're an experiencer and so was she. So I'm not 100% certain on timelines, like if your experiences were after the fact or whatnot, but uh, did you ever have discussions, uh, uh, candid ones about that, that sort of thing? Absolutely. We had many, many discussions, uh, beginning when I began my research um, for the book captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience. And um, because I heard about it when I was 13, whenever we I went, they came to the house or we went to their house. Um, Betty was obsessed with this. She wanted answers. She was talking to Air Force officers, to Naval officers uh, about this. So uh, it was something that she was very focused on. Barney, on the other hand, had a totally different attitude. He wanted to forget it as quickly as possible. He thought that no good could ever come of it. But that, I uh, drove Betty along the close encounter route numerous times. I tape recorded her statements. I did my own investigation going up there with my husband time and time again, always looking for a prosaic explanation, which I couldn't find. Uh, Betty was very much a nuts and bolts kind of person. She and I would have uh, heated discussions, you might say, about uh, the experiencers who were saying that they were taken through ceilings or walls or closed windows. And I would always say, well, Betty, don't you think that these ETs, if they had the ability to come here, might have developed the technology to uh, do something Um, scientifically, using physics to to pass a human body through a solid surface. And her answer was always, well, if somebody told me that had happened to them, I'd ask to see the repair bill. (laughs) So, I mean, you have to say, Betty seemed very nuts and bolts in in her approach to all of this and uh, encouraged me to be that way, too. So for many years... I was a nuts and bolts investigator. I was looking at everything in terms of physical evidence. 
It seems like uh, it used to be just when you say nuts and bolts, I've heard that term a lot. People want something they can dig their teeth into. And now with, you know, where studies have caught up and even with strange places like Skinwalker Ranch and things like that, you know, we didn't really think there was a connection between UFOs or Bigfoot or cryptids or paranormal or, um, you know, even uh, poltergeist activity. But the deeper down this rabbit hole, we seem to go. And many investigators and researchers are all kind of coming to the same conclusion that, we thought we had something that, you know, tangible, we were making progress. And now it's just stranger than we ever thought it was. And it's like, we're almost back to square one again, because of the, the wide variety of phenomenon that people report. And a lot of UFO experiencers, they seem to take on physiological happenings, whether they have experiences again, or something spooky happens at home, or like shadow people or whatever, it all seems to be like an ongoing effect. You don't just have an experience. You may also have medical conditions after or, you know, things that we can't even begin to explain as a result. So we're definitely getting uh, getting stranger and stranger. And it's it, it, it's time for some big brains and people such as yourself to to help us all really understand this at more of a spiritual level. Yes, absolutely. And interdimensional as well. Um, my family had some of this paranormal activity occur in our home after a craft landed on my grandparents' farm, which was the craft landed uh, about 160 feet away from my childhood home. And my mother and I remembered being taken. We weren't, didn't remember being taken to craft, but we remembered finding ourselves on craft in a very frightening situation. And after that occurred, we started to have light orbs in my childhood home. Sometimes a door would open uh, on its own and the cat would walk in and the door would close. And <laughs> that even happened when we had company. My father was like a Boy Scout leader and he was having a committee meeting when that happened one night. So that was rather startling. Um, one time I was sleeping in my mother's bed when my husband and I were visiting from another state. And we felt something unseen walking on the bed and uh, it, it didn't know what it was. It wasn't a cat. We turned on the lights, we looked, and this very strange thing was occurring. I found a letter that Betty wrote, and it was in her files. And, and she said, these things are happening to Barney and I, and also... Uh, to my family members. We do not believe in ghosts, but we believe that these ETs could be unseen to us. So uh, even though she was very nuts and bolts oriented, she had that question, what's going on? And yes, absolutely. I've discovered that they can be unseen to us because they are from a different um, dimension you might say they and the difference between the dimensions is the rate the vibratory rate so theoretically in physics everything has a vibratory rate none of us are completely solid the, our atoms are moving and so uh, when you talk about this you only have to think these ETs have said that they're in the fifth and sixth dimensions, that 
only means that the vibratory rate is faster. So we can't see them. We have a limited visual range. Now, if these ETs come into your environment, you can feel them. You can feel a very strong tingling sensation in your bodies. This, this goes all the way back to Betty and Barney when they were attempting to speed down the highway to evade this UFO that was chasing them just over the top of their car. And they heard these uh, buzzing sounds striking their tr the trunk of their car. This tingling sensation passed through their bodies. It was an electrical tingling sensation. So, uh, you know, there's some similarity there. There are things that we couldn't explain back then. For Barney, there was, uh, when he was standing in the field and the craft was hovering over only 100 feet overhead and descending in his direction, he saw something dropping down from the bottom of the craft. He didn't know what it was. He didn't know if it was a ladder or a rope or what it was. Today, we know that this is a beam, which is sort of a tractor beam. It appears to be interdimensional. And I actually have video that I'm going to be showing in, at most of my lectures this year that has been caught on a few seconds of film in one of the biggest cases I've ever worked on. Three people, one a confirmed experiencer. And that uh, I arranged for two highly respected paranormal investigators to go to this experiencer's home to conduct an investigation to see if they could capture any evidence. They went there, they had all their equipment set up, they had a video camera in one part of the yard to try to capture a UFO. Well, they did capture not the UFO, but they uh, had this craft come in and suddenly all the equipment they were holding in their hands was no longer in their hands. They were reeling back and forth. They were feeling nauseated. They picked up all the equipment. They had to find it first under a bush, walked back into the experiencer's home. And the experiencer's wife was there saying, where have you been? And they said, just out in the yard. And she said, no, you weren't. I was looking for you. Uh, do you know what time it is? They went outside at 10 o'clock. They thought it was still only 11 o'clock. It was actually one o'clock in the morning. You're, you're, and, I'm sorry. Uh, your mom experienced that as well, right? Grocery shopping one day. She, you mentioned that in the book, I believe, that she went out grocery shopping and then experienced this missing time. You guys were all worried that she had gotten into a car crash or something. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And when yeah. she arrived home, the frozen food was thawed. You know, oh, really? this missing time is pretty common among experiencers. Um, but what happened is I was able to obtain film from that camera in that case I was just talking about. And on it, it shows a uh, an indigo beam. And it shows an entity dropping off that beam. And that entity is not solid initially. It's translucent, but becomes solid as it descends toward the ground. There were several entities captured. And during my, my lectures this year, I'm going to be showing 
the that video and those entities that I was able to capture and in my frame by frame analysis in the first few seconds before they realized what was going on. I'm talking about the ETs realizing. Right. It's almost like we're only programmed to pick up and physiologically, this is true. We are only programmed to pick up a certain part of the spectrum visually audibly you know we can't hear super super low frequencies or super super high kind of like a dog whistle only a dog can hear it because that vibration Mm -hmm. is in tune with their physiology so you know and even if you study quantum physics and it's almost like what we see is just the best version our brains can make of what we see it may not actually be the reality we know so when mm-hmm. you see things dematerializing and I mean, maybe that's how they travel crazy distances is not by actual propulsion machinery. Maybe there's a, a dematerialization and then a reappearance somewhere far, far away. Like if you can figure out how that vibration works, that's like the instant highway. And, and you know, and when you look at quantum entanglement and, you know, you move one thing here, something else is also affected. Uh, you know, maybe it's it's way above our pay grade to even try to understand <laughs> a percentage of this type of stuff. Yes. Uh, you know, it looks like magic to us uh, because of our uh, technological level of development. Uh, we have a long way to go to to reach that point. Scientists, theoretical physicists are attempting to understand that, are developing theories on it. Uh, it appears to be interdimensional in in nature. And some of those physicists believe that these entities are actually on some distant planet and actually have the ability to uh, project uh, sort of images or uh, holograms. Uh, And that's what we believe is uh, craft and non-human entities, but they're actually on another planet. I don't know about that because being an experiencer and being in that environment, everything seemed very nuts and bolts to me. It was physical. And I was with um, sentient beings, at least the, uh, the scientists uh, and the educators seemed like sentient beings. I did not think they were bio-robotic in any way. Uh, Many experiencers I've talked to have said that they age. And I saw one who had aged over the years too, my escort. So yeah, maybe there's more than one thing going on. I wanted to ask you, Kathleen, because you openly say that you were an experiencer, you've had, um, you know, vivid things happen. So what level of detail do you actually recall? Is it kind of like fuzzy memories, like I was here and then I only remembered it after? Or do you remember it as if like it had happened? I was here. I remember going with them. We went on the craft. It looked like this. Like, do you have that level of sort of granular detail with some of your experiences? In terms of uh, memory, I had my initial memory was of being on a craft lying on a table. There were uh, non humans around me. Uh, I could not remember their faces. I remembered the scenario that was happening. There, so, uh, there was pain in my body after I, I knew that something had happened to me. And the way I rationalized it was to think that my mother 
had arranged for surgeons to come into my home in the middle of the night to do surgery on me because she didn't want to frighten me. I mean, that's even crazier in a sense than uh, being on that craft. And, and my mother was there. I saw her, you know, too. So um, very clear memory of that. It was through a very powerful abreaction as I tried to remember what they looked like that I finally did remember and was able to draw a sketch of what they looked like. Um, so, but uh, Dr. James Harder worked with both my mother and I. He was from the University of California at Berkeley, uh, worked as a professor in the engineering department and was also the Aerial Research Phenomena Associations, uh, or Aerial APRO, A-P-R-O, I got that mixed up, Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. Uh, he was their chief abduction investigator. So he hypnotized us and we remembered more details uh, of what had occurred. Um, this was in the 1970s, but it was only a couple of hypnosis sessions and very short. So, but he gave us the post-hypnotic suggestion that we would be able to remember more and that we would attempt to uh, acquire evidence. So uh, that's something that occurred over the years. I was able to gather evidence. Sometimes I gathered it and destroyed it. I think I was instructed to do that. And um, so I've always had some memories. Uh, I've had an awareness that they were going to come. I would be extraordinarily frightened for um, much of this. As I was waiting, I would be awake when they came. And then I'd find myself on craft. I did not remember how I arrived to the craft. I could never remember that part of it. That seems to be a common a common thing amongst abductees that they don't remember the transition from even if let's say they're in their rooms to being on board of the craft. There's there's that gap there. So yes, and some people remember being walked to craft, but I I don't remember being walked to craft. I I suspect that I was taken into a, a, an interdimensional. Um, portal of sorts that into that UFO. And I, of course, I started vibrating at a higher rate. My body came apart. And that's why I can't remember it. That's what I think happened. Right. And then when I was in their environment, I was whole. And I think that maybe the reason that I became disabled with illness was because of that process of being taken there time and time again. How many times uh, are we talking here? Was this, you know, a half a dozen or is this something that you've experienced for years and years and many, many times? I've experienced it for many years from uh, at least from the age of 17. Uh, it occurred more frequently when I was in my uh, sort of 25 to you know, maybe about 32 something like that, um, every maybe three months. I, I can't say for certain. It just all I remember is it occurred frequently. And on three occasions, people saw the craft. 
On one of those occasions, the people saw the craft near my house and they knocked on my door. They were looking for me, but I wasn't there. They couldn't find me. I was probably on that craft. I, I, I had memories of being on craft that night. So um, then as I grew older, uh, it was interfering. Really, when I was in my 40s, I was ill. It was interfering with my ability to uh, become well or feel well because they were keeping me up during the night about once a year. And so I said, I asked them to just let me sleep through it. And so I think that I slept through it because I had wakened, for example, with blood on my navel, feeling a, a kind of a pinching pain, uh, but I would not remember always being taken. Sometimes I remember being taken if I was awake when it occurred. Is it always the same uh, group of entities? Yes. They were, right? Were they recognizable? Like that's the one with the funny ear and that's the one with the scar on his head, that kind yeah. of thing? Or <laughs> I recognized my escort. Yeah. Uh, we had a relationship and we were take, uh, I liked him. We, and he always came to me time and time again. One time, and this was much later on, in, it was in 2000, and I think it was 2013, I was uh, taken maybe by Denise Stoner's group. I don't know. Um, it was, let me tell you a little bit, she and I were, had, and my father had been to uh, St. Pete to a, a UFO meeting, a MUFON meeting. And Paula Harris was speaking. And we, on, the, on our return home uh, that night, my GPS started to malfunction. Uh, I ended up on a, just a lonely road and realized that I wasn't supposed to be there and s- turned around, went directly back to the highway and turned the GPS off. Then Denise and I, my father, were just talking the entire time. And then everything was quiet. And she and I remembered sort of feeling like we were going uphill. And there, there are no hills there right. where we were driving. And so um, her, she might, I don't know. We have this point of confusion. If we were taken together under hypnosis, she remembered walking by a room where there uh, was a man and a woman sitting on a bench. The man was elderly and bald like my father. The woman um, was wearing sort of the outfit that I was wearing, but she couldn't say for certain if it was us. Uh, We all arrived home late that night. Uh, I think she was later than we were. She remembered finding herself on a different road than Uh, She had been driving on. She was on like a lonely road next to a lake. She saw a giant uh, red-orange orb rise up out of the lake. She remembered seeing her escort. And then she remembered finding herself in her driveway. And her husband being concerned about why she was so late. So, and her, her insulin pump was not, working it was it was buzzing even though it was a new battery 
Um, her cell phone had stopped working completely, that sort of thing. Right. The next night is when I found myself on a craft. I woke up when I was dropped on a table. I opened, I was on my side. I opened my eyes and I saw a little entity that I'd never seen before. It looked robot, looked robotic or bio-robotic. Um, it was about six inches probably from my face. It was very startling. It did not look at all like it was a sentient being. The face was completely flat. It had a round head like a basketball. The eyes, although they were black, had sort of a silver outline, almost like metal. Um, I didn't notice a nose, but I noticed a little mouth that moved, that sort of did a smile in a sense. It moved uh, when I opened my eyes and, and looked at it. And then the two taller entities down at the foot of the table, there were two or three. I'm not certain. I didn't have my glasses on. I was older then and needed glasses. So they were kind of fuzzy to me, but I know that they were much taller than I was accustomed to seeing. And this little guy was not anything like what I was accustomed to seeing either. And so, you know, I was injured uh, when I was dropped. I had, had to have some physical therapy. The next morning, I was feeling pretty terrible um, physically. And I said to my father, I think I was taken last night. My father, who lived in the guest house beside my house, uh, said, well, I think you were too, because I saw a strange light or strange lights got up in the middle of the night and saw them outside the window. Oh, wow. And so, um, you know, that was some confirmation that I, it probably did in addition to the injuries I received. So you mentioned before that, um, you know, having worked with over 5,000 experiencers that they all share some characteristics or features that is not common. Do you want to touch up a little bit on that? Like, what have you found with the abductees or the experiencers? What What is it that they have that the general population are not as, as uh, I would say, equipped as they are? Well, in our study, the majority of the abductee group, as was determined by uh, the American Personality Inventory, administered and graded by Dr. Don C. Don Derry, um, so these were people who were alien abductees. Then we had the group of people who had just taken the exam. And we had, uh, I had already removed those who didn't complete the exam and those who we were able to identify as hoaxers. Okay. So um, what we discovered is that the majority uh, had observed a craft up close at least one time. Uh, they had conscious recall of observing non-human entities at least one time. Their family members had as well. They had been taken to craft. So we discovered that there was definitely a genetic family link there. Uh, also that these experiencers uh, had become more spiritual 
a very, very high percentage of the abductee group had become more spiritual. Um, they had, they were empaths. They had become empathic where they, it's a psychic sense of being able to experience what is going on inside of another person's body as if it's your own. I do this if I get into their auric realm. Uh, I try to shut that off. But when I work with experiencers, sometimes I get into their auric realm and I can, I experience that in my own body. Um, They uh, are psychic or intuitive. There are many who are mediums, which is very surprising to me, but uh, something, just something I learned. I don't have statistics on that. I, I discovered that after. Uh, we had done our studies. They, uh, we asked the question about sleep paralysis, actually two questions about sleep paralysis. Have you been awakened during the night feeling paralyzed and able to move only your eyes? Well, a very high percentage said yes. The next question was, have you awakened during the night but seeing non-humans in your environment and then became paralyzed. Now, it was a fairly low, like 36, 40% among the entire group. But among the group of those who were abductees, it was highly statistically significant. So this was definitely not sleep paralysis for this group of abductees. They experienced everything at a higher rate. One of the questions we asked is, uh, if you could end this today, would you? Among the experiencers overall, 71% said, no, I do not want it to end. Among the abductee group, 74% said, no, I do not want it to end. If you compare that to the Edgar Mitchell Free um, Experiencers uh, survey, it was, a, I guess, the, the uh, Experiencers questionnaire, I think, is what, they, what we called it. But for them, it was 83% that did, would not want to end these experiences hmm. if they could. So uh, you have to think that this must not be as frightening or as horrific or uh, intrusive as we always thought that it was. And what we discovered is that experiencers over um, many, many years have sort of established a friendly relationship with these ETs. If they ask for healing, they're being healed. Among our abductees, 45% had been healed when they asked for healing. Hmm. That's crazy. Um, They were also uh, early on experiencing health problems, as I did, and uh, they had 53% had migraine headaches, 45% had nosebleeds, uh, 44% had medical Diagnosis of chronic fatigue and immune dysfunction syndrome. Only 18% said that they had uh, fibromyalgia. 
So, um, but you get over that over time. Uh, paranormal experiences, 61% of the overall experiences said, yes, they, they'd had these in their homes, 50% for the abductee group. Um, looking, orbs in the home, 61% overall, 50% of the abductee group had seen orbs that appeared to be intelligently controlled in their homes. Uh, motion in the mattress, 58% overall, 75% for abductees. So, so is, quite significant. Go do ahead. You, do you think there's a reason why they sort of erase your memory after you've had an encounter with them? Is there a specific reason why they're doing this? Is it, is it hard on our psyche? Because obviously there's a need to know for experiencers. Experiencers want to know what happened. They want to know more about who these entities are. But it seems like they just do this brainwash thing on people. Do you think there's a specific reason for that? There are so many answers that I have for <laughs> that. Um, you know, first of all, uh, they want us to remember part of it. They want us to remember the part of the educational part about uh, their concern about our use of nuclear weapons, their concern about a collapse of uh, our environment and that it could lead to our destruction. They have been giving this information to experiencers for many, many years, but most of us a return to our home without the memory that they want us to have. Right. Now, on the other hand, they don't want us to be traumatized by this experience. So they've, they've appeared to have wiped out this memory uh, in order to assist us. Now, what I've discovered is regardless of whether or not you have a highly positive or highly negative experience, you come out feeling traumatized initially right. because you don't know what happened. You only know that you were taken. A lot of people don't remember. They, they recall being on the table, but they don't recall exactly what happened when they were there. Right. Or being taken to craft and, and don't know what happened on craft. So uh, I don't know the answer for that. All I know is that uh, a lot of people feel much better uh, after they have had EMDR therapy with a qualified uh, psychotherapist or uh, have had hypnosis, hypnotherapy um, by a qualified licensed psychotherapist. Were there any cases uh, of the many, many thousands that you've you know, researched, were there any that really stood out? Like people with so much detail in their story that it's, you know, even if you're a skeptic, it would be near impossible to doubt, you know, like, are there any really memorable ones that stand out in your mind? Well, with all of the experiencers that I've worked with, I've always taught them how to collect evidence. And if they were able to collect evidence, then I continued to have a relationship with them if this is what they wanted. I had a case in, um, in Canada, Winnipeg, for an experiencer who uh, collected evidence over many, many years. And uh, I ended up 
being able to uh, have evidence that he was healed uh, from lymphoma by an orb that was actually captured on video coming into his room after he and I were both uh, sending telepathic messages for healing for him. And the next day after this happened, the very large nodes that he had on the side of his neck were no longer visible. He went in for surgery and uh, though he only four tiny necrotic nodes were removed. They were no longer cancerous. Wow. So uh, it was really something. He also captured uh, photographs of some of these entities, not, not very good, but one of them uh, certainly did not look like an ET to me. It looked like an elf. So I don't know, maybe there are many things going on through this interdimensional portal that seemed to be open to his home. Um, it, it's just amazing to look at it with its little pointed elf ears. Um, just a, a little round derby kind of hat. Uh, it just didn't look like an ET. Leprechauns <laughs> so, are real. Yes, I mean, it was more like a leprechaun in a sense. Um, but also his girlfriend, when they were at the family camp, um, one night in the middle of the night, uh, was able to be awake but paralyzed and could see uh, loads and loads of little orbs picking him up from the bed. And when he was returned, there, was, uh, there were marks on his body, uh, something done to his lower back that was a round uh, mark with a needle point. So something was done at the bottom of his spine. Um, uh, Dr. Joseph Burks has his medical evidence. Uh, I collected a little bit, but I wanted a medical doctor to have this evidence. So that was one case. Um, I talked about it. I wrote about it in my book, um, Extraterrestrial Contact, What to Do When You've Been Abducted. And also another case that really stands out was one that I investigated. It was very much like the Skinwalker Ranch. And this took place in Texas. And the land that it took place on had been donated, supposedly given to the white man by the Native American tribe years ago. And it was cursed, just like the Skinwalker Ranch. And there was highly negative activity taking place there. But ETs would show up as well. There was a time slip there where one time uh, the experiencer, who happened to be a retired commercial pilot, and his mother were looking out the window at this runway. He was now running a small airport that did repairs. Um, they saw mammoths grazing on a grassy savanna. It's uh, an extraordinary story that is in, also in my book, Extraterrestrial Contact, What to Do When You've Been Abducted, which is sort of a comprehensive guide on contact and abduction. 
You know, you mentioned Skinwalker Ranch. We had uh, George Knapp and Colin Kelleher on the show uh, discussing a new book, uh, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon. And uh, they also discussed, you know, lights and orbs. And they talked specifically about the blue ones. They nicknamed them blue meanies because they seemed that anybody who had had, you know, the hitchhiker effect, meaning they had taken some of this strangeness home with them and in their lives, the people that had had um, uh, come in contact with these blue orbs reported actual problems, you know, like immunodeficiencies, uh, lupus, Hashimoto's disease, like strange, really obscure diseases that most people would never even have a chance of getting. And it was almost like some of these lights are healing, some of them are not so much. It's just, it's A to Z of everything and everything in between as far as uh, what they could possibly be. And also the physical effects. And a lot of people are skeptical and they want hard evidence. Well, I mean, if you're a science mind and you're studying people that have had scientific things come from their experience, that's measurable, you would think repeatable, and it's something that you can gather data from and use to sort of further your, your information. So, Yes, and uh, Dr. James Lukaski from the DIA, Colm Kelleher, um, a scientist who's working on this, and of course, George Knapp. Uh, whom uh, he and I discussed this on one of his shows. I'm going to be on his show again on Sunday night. And uh, actually, <laughs> tomorrow morning Tonight. at 3 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'll probably be groggy. But anyway, um, yeah, this is repeatable. If you go to the Skinwalker Ranch, uh, you can pick this up. But something I read in the book is that there was something that happened to these people who picked up these hitchhikers, that something was imposed on them that gave them a feeling of terror. What I understand about this from all of my years of research and um, you know, moving beyond the nuts and bolts because I just discovered it was scientifically dishonest not to, I wanted the answers. Well, when you feel terror, it lowers your vibrational frequency. And these negative entities can then attach to you. And not all ETs are friendly. And there are negative interdimensionals as well. That, uh, you know, have, that land is cursed by shamans. It's been that way for more than 200 years. So uh, these orbs that are solid, blue, they're not the same as these sort of plasma orbs that have intelligence. These blue solid orbs that strike people and make them sick are different. And I believe that they are negative, And this is something that's being perpetrated by the negative side of all of this. Because they had the same problem, didn't they, in, uh, I think, Brazil, 1977, with these orbs that would zap people, make them anemic. I think few people died because of it as well. But they were, it was called the suck-suck incident because it would suck the iron out of people's bloods. And just this was going on for months. But it was, yeah, those yes. little blue orbs. So blue nasty. Yes, unfortunately. Yeah, earned, their, earned their names. <laughs> yeah, they they harm people. Yeah. Uh, when they hit them, they can burn people. Uh, they do. They're just negative. 
and they, they do make people sick. Uh, these negative interdimensional entities that have a lower vibration uh, feed off fear, off anger, loathing, pain, illness. It makes them thrive and grow. And it's extraordinarily important to remove these things. The paranormal clergy is receiving more um, requests than ever to detach these things. Uh, if you go to my website at kathleen-marden.com, you'll uh, read some suggestions on how to detach these things. So uh, it's under my essays on contact. So that will give you uh, a beginning on, on what to do. You have to raise your vibrational frequency. You have to be happy. You have to avoid anything that might make you frightened or might uh, cause you to become angry or, you know, that sort of thing. So don't have, have kids is what you're saying. You don't have <laughs> I the understand that. <laughs> well, it affects that's your exactly immune system. Yeah. That, that's actually true. Like that's what they say. You know, you can actually manifest positive health in your life. If you're, if you raise your vibrational energy to a positive one, rather than dwelling in the negative, it's no coincidence. A lot of people that are always negative, and always in that zone also have a lot of health problems and they have a lot of bad luck, quote unquote, you know, it's sort of like mm -hmm. your circle of influence. You create it and you live within it, uh, whatever that energy field looks like, you know? Yes. And anyone can, regardless of how high their energy field might be, if they uh, are overcome, if they have a, a moment of uh, just terror, in their lives, it could be caused by one of these negative entities that can get in and attach. So don't think that it only uh, impacts those who are lower vibrating people who are alcoholics, opioid uh, abusers, um, people who have thrive on horror movies, that sort of thing. It can happen to anybody. You just have to change your behavior. You have to do what you can to keep uh, as positive as possible, because then these negative entities are not being fed. They're not receiving what they're looking for, and they have to look elsewhere. I wanted to ask you while we have you on the show, I've always been intrigued by statements people make that they were abducted and had a physical implant. And I've heard stories of uh, one particular doctor who claims to have removed four or five, I forget the number, but actual uh, metallic little tiny chips or things that had almost like biochemistry within them. They weren't, you know, it wasn't a different um, uh, creature or a cell. It was like a metal, but it seemed to fuse with the muscle tissues and it seemed to have, you know, and it was removable. And even when they did like metallurgical, you know, diagnosis on it, they're like, yeah, the isotopes of these metals don't exist on our planet. So uh, have you uh, researched anybody that's claimed to have had an implant or, you know, can you shed well, some light absolutely. on Absolutely. Yes. And it was Dr. Roger Lear, who was the pioneer. And uh, along with Daryl Sims, they worked together for a while and then they had a falling out. But and Dr. Roger Lear continued with this and had surgeons who worked with him to remove these implants. The 
they had special properties. These implants were coated with a biological substance very hard that prevented them from being rejected from the body. They were connected to proprioceptor nerve fibers in the body. They appeared to have intelligence. Um, when the, the surgeons went to remove them, they attempted to flee from the, the scalpel. They would move up the, uh, the arm, for example, if it was in the hand, up the leg if it was in the foot. Uh, so they would try to escape. Uh, the ETs now seem to be planting them in places that are much more difficult to reach, such as uh, in, uh, in the jawbone, under the teeth, uh, uh, for example, and uh, in places where if you remove them, it could cause paralysis. Yeah, I've heard of a guy had one in his brainstem, right and they said, yeah, we could try to get it out, but you're going to die one way or the other. It's so deep in there, it's impossible to access. Yes. Crazy. Yeah. So, but uh, in a couple of those implants that were removed, uh, they discovered that they transmitted into deep space for about, I think it was one or two months and then shut down. And uh, also uh, made of a crystalline structure of uh, metallic substances that are either rare earths or meteoric in origin. Right. Uh, technology far in advance of our own nanotechnology. For sure. And mm -hmm. it's almost like if it happened to me, I wouldn't be too sure if I want to remove it because what if it's there for a good reason? What if yeah. they told me, look, don't remove this when you gain consciousness and uh, you go ahead and do so and it just turns out to get diabetes or something. Who knows? Right. Um, and yeah. and I, I agree. It's not a good idea to... Yeah remove them. Uh, one of the experiencers, the one in, in Canada that I spoke of, uh, had his removed by his physician and regretted it terribly. He was feeling very remorseful. Right. And then uh, I just said to him, well, don't worry, they'll put another one in. <laughs> and <laughs> they'll come back. And then he was back to being himself. And, yeah. and yes, and they did insert another one apparently and uh, he was doing fine again and so they do have some positive uh, reasons for being there uh, to monitor the health of the human body to uh, be able to communicate with experiencers I believe as well and so I don't know if there's still a reason for uh, for them to find us. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've never been certain that that was the reason they were placed right. in our bodies. That we, I, they could probably find us anywhere anyways, right? Just through. We emit a certain, a signal or a light. They say that they can see the light coming from our bodies. Hmm. So and that seems to be the signature from what I understand. One of the nicest things in the book that you wrote was Betty and Barney embody all the traits that exemplify what good humans should be. They are kind, loving, compassionate, intelligent, curious, educated, and believe in equal rights. And just that little passage I thought was beautifully written because it is true. They were really good hearted people. 
Um, and you hear that all the time, even on Skinwalker Ranch, like the people were the salt of the earth, you know, it's always these people that seem to have these occurrences. You never hear some bad guy in prison having alien abductions. I mean, I haven't yet, but it's always good people that tend to be having these uh, occurrences. So do you think that's intentional? Do you think that people are picked out that way because of their personality, because of their traits? Because I've never heard of anybody being on a ship and just, oh, and I, well, besides Calvin Parker, who ended up punching one. But He's going to be on our show in a heard. few weeks. We're going to ask him, what was it like to be yeah. the only guy on record to beat up an alien? Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's the only one that we know of. But besides that, most people, yeah. And I, I thought it was very beautifully written that uh, you would say that about them. Because, yeah, yeah it, it, it gives it, an insight true. to them. Yeah. Yes. And I asked the ETs, how they selected people. And they said that initially, um, they just took people uh, up opportunistically, um, kids on the back lands of the family farm, um, people who were out hunting or fishing or camping or whatever. Right. And then when they found what they were looking for, they took them along family lines. So I know that they were looking for something in particular, I know that they were attempting uh, to change humans on an evolutionary scale. And that part of being an experiencer uh, has uh, these very positive qualities. And the children born to experiencers also seem to have these positive qualities as well. highly spiritual, for example, kind, caring, right. compassionate. Which are all and, good traits of humans, if we could just all focus on that, right? Yeah. Well, yes, yes. I heard you mention in another interview that it's almost like the ETs are trying to tell us that our technological advancement is not on in par with our spiritual advancement. And that perhaps in you know, species previous to us, that was their undoing or their demise. So maybe it's a galactic lesson that they're trying to teach us and prevent from happening again. Like get to the higher realm of understanding. Don't blow yourself up with military. That's not the way to get advanced enough to to see the stars, right? Yes, absolutely. They told me this and they told other experiencers on the open-ended questions on our studies this as well, others repeated it, that, you know, our technological development is simply out of sync with our spiritual growth. And uh, when this happens, it could lead to the disintegration of the species. That Those were the words they used to me, disintegration of the species. Yes. Heavy word to use. Heavy word to use. Uh, mm-hmm. Louis, do you have uh, any final questions for no, our I think, guest today? Uh, I think it's been an awesome show. I think we covered a lot of material and uh, such a pleasant person. And just, uh, you know, you can feel other people's energy when you're in their presence. Some people make you feel good. Some people you just feel drained. I feel good. I feel like uh, I've learned yeah. something. Hopefully our listeners have as well. That's the whole point of our show. And uh, what a credible and amazing person to have on the show, Kathleen Martin. And now, Thank you so much. also the book "Forbidden Knowledge: A Personal Journey from Alien Abduction to Spiritual Transformation" is available right now. <laughs> Kathleen, where can we get uh, a copy of this book? Uh, you can acquire a copy of this book at um, Amazon.com, and also uh, from my website, 
at kathleen-marden.com via PayPal, or uh, you can also, I will autograph it. Oh, nice. If, if you want your name on it, just let me know, and I'll put your name on it as well. That is awesome. Okay, we'll Kathleen take two, Martin. one for Louie, one for Jason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kathleen Martin, thank okay. you so much for coming on UAP Studies Podcast today. We really appreciate it, and please come on back whenever, whenever you want. This podcast is open to you. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed my time with you today.